0: Hello and welcome to Fun Fact Collectors. This week we're taking a trip in our time machine back to early April of 2023 when we recorded this episode. It was temporarily lost due to technical problems, but those were resolved and we've resurrected it, so uh, sit back and enjoy. This uh, was supposed to come out just after our GML episode.
1: Hello, and welcome to Fun Fact Collectors. I'm Jadrian.
0: And I'm Brad. Some people collect stamps, some people collect coins, we collect fun facts, and now you do too.
2: Welcome to the club, nerd!
0: Well, what is this voice? The voice of an angel, to be sure.
1: We're pleased to have in the studio today (laughs) a very special guest. Here to answer all of the questions that we asked and then did not answer in last week's episode about planting things. Do you want to introduce her, Brad?
0: This is my wife, Lacey. Uh, We talked about her some in the last episode. We've talked to her about her in multiple episodes, but specifically last episode about her tomatoes and her her planting prowess. Uh, And as you know, Jade, and as the audience will now learn, I am dying this week. Uh, You are also uh I have apart a problem.
1: I have problems. There are problems yeah. in abundance.
0: Yeah. So I definitely wasn't in a place to prepare an episode this week. Um, I'm surprisingly able to speak right now, but I don't know if I talked for a whole hour. And like we just said, we had some questions and stuff that I thought she could answer, so I have forced her into being our first inaugural our inaugural guest on Fun Fact Collectors. So she truly is now part of the club nerd.
1: Yeah, um, welcome. I Thank feel you. like forced is probably the correct <laughs> word, considering that you live with one of the two hosts. <laughs> I, I only
0: had to slightly badger her and twist her arm.
1: Um, I was thinking today about plants, because as you know, I am not a gardening person. I aspire to be a gardening person, but I think I'm more of a collect and admire type plant person than I am a cultivate plant person but I feel like in the last few years your garden has gone from being like you know a little hobby garden to being like basically a full-blown hobby firm <laughs> that's very generous of you to say um I feel like I'm still very much a novice but yeah. um I think I guess a good place to start, I'm coming up with all of these questions on the fly, but a good start would be, um, how did you get into gardening at the, at the scale and type that you do today? Did you just one day wake up and decide I want to grow the best tomatoes on the block?
2: (laughs) (laughs) My interest in gardening started at a really young age, um, my best friend's mother always had a really big bustling garden and i remember even when we were kids she was growing things like watermelon which was just like so cool to me um and uh the farm across the street would always give her like lots of composted manure so she basically just had a gold mine across the street um for fertilizer and so that i don't know that was just always interesting to me, I guess. Um, There were a lot of good memories from that. My parents had some moderately successful gardens as I was growing up. Um, And then I guess my own experience with it really took off when I got a place where I could actually have anything, uh, which is when we moved into the house together. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it just kind of came from me wanting the best tasting produce possible, I guess, and also just enjoying things, watching things grow um, mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So, she has a
0: whole, like, diary plant journal now, right, dear?
2: Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, I, I keep up with it to varying degrees. It was really helpful, like, the first year in planning. Um, Now I have a pretty good idea of like what seeds I have and things
1: like that and what I need. I I think the thing, like I'm very curious because, and you and I have had conversations about this before, how the idea of gardening feels so huge to me and like tackling, like starting and coming up with a plan. I don't even know where to start with that. So my questions are like, did you, I mean, obviously- in the internet age, everything is available online. Like, I assume you watched a lot of YouTube, that kind of thing.
2: Yes. The first, well, it wasn't really the first year I got into gardening, but so I would say my first little garden that I had was just like that box. And... Um, I learned a lot of lessons that year like if my spot that I put it was way too shady even though it looked idyllic and I planted things way too close together and I thought I bought tomatoes but I bought cherry tomatoes so I was like why is this tomato not growing any larger <laughs> but it's red I guess I'm gonna pick it and eat it and I think I got like one cherry tomato that year but that was very that was motivating to me to be like oh well I think I can do better next year and so when we moved our current house and actually had like a garden plot already kind of there that we just needed to revive yeah like that winter especially I was just on homesteading YouTube gardening YouTube constantly um watched through like basically whole channels worth of content um and so planning was a really exciting part to me to be watching those videos and getting all of these ideas and and then planning what I was going to do in my garden and like planning and execution are two totally different things. Like it's like, um, you know, when you're knitting yarn collecting and
1: actually knitting could basically be two separate hobbies. Um, and also I mean planning and executing are two different things. Every year I plan to have a garden and most years I do not execute. Like
2: the thing with gardening is, um, It's really hard. (laughs) It's hard work. (laughs) And it's consistent work through some of the months that you maybe don't want to be doing that work. Like you would rather just be taking it easy. um, Or like, you know, you're on vacation somewhere for a week and then you've got to figure out what to do. So I feel like gardening is one of those spaces where I give myself and others like a lot more grace than I normally would because I just understand that it's really hard and sometimes your plans aren't all going to come to fruition and guard. I I think that's kind of just the beauty of gardening is like you, even if you don't do what you think you're going to do, it's probably still going to be magical in some way. And you're probably still going to learn something.
1: So when you are approaching planting an area, whether it's like a, uh, well, I guess I know you have different planting areas at your home. I know you have raised uh, beds that sit up on the deck. And then you also have like a large in the ground plot. I don't know what the different terms are for that. So how do you approach planning out what you're going to put where, what you're going to tackle, what things you're going to put together? <laughs> um,
2: that's a good question. So I mean, I feel like for my little garden, and I'm not saying I do things perfectly at all because sometimes it's like, I know there's a more ideal way, but I'm just lazy or I just don't have a lot of space. So I try first and foremost to just think of where I put things the previous year and then not do that. So like kind of do crop rotation, like as much as I can. Um, why? So why is something like that important? Um, And again, I can't, I don't really have the knowledge to get into the nitty gritty of it, but the biggest things would probably just be um, like soil health. So like if you can um, avoid putting a crop somewhere that's going to pull a certain something out of the soil, like year after year, then you should probably do that. Um, Or like bugs as well. Again, like my garden's so relatively small compared to a large growing operation that I'm not sure how much it matters, but you know, theoretically bugs may come back or, or nest in the spot that you had your crops last year. So you might huh. want to move them uh, to a different spot. So hopefully the bugs won't get them. Again, I, I don't know how much that really matters.
1: Yeah. I never would well, have thought of like yeah. bugs as returning. But I mean, it makes sense. That's where and, their habitat and, was.
0: And with large scale agriculture, things like crop rotation become that much more important. Because you can imagine, hey, uh, I'm going to go try and plant potatoes here for the next thousand years. Yeah, At some it's... point, if you don't add nutrients back to the soil, something's got to give, and your potatoes stop potating. Yeah, so, and you
2: you should be doing that anyway. So really, like, you should always be adding back to the soil anyway, and you can get into crop rotation where you're planting crops that are adding things back to the soil. Um, I don't really do that because I have such a small growing space that I don't necessarily want to dedicate that space to a crop that I don't really care about growing. Um, so mine is just more focused on not depleting it of the same nutrient
1: year after year mm. if I don't have to. Yeah, I suppose. I think of plants as like one amorphous blob. But... I mean, it makes sense that different plants are pulling different nutrients out of the soil. So moving yeah. things around. I mean, well, that makes sense.
0: Yeah. And talk for a little bit, Lacey, just about like, the different kinds of tomatoes, even just that you grow. Because this is the kind of stuff we kind of got into it last week a little bit. But before you started getting big into planting, if I was going to the grocery store and I was going to get cucumber... It's like, ah, there's two kinds of cucumber English and not, or tomatoes, right? There's tomatoes, there's cherry tomatoes, and there's beefsteak tomatoes. That's it. Those are the three kinds of tomatoes that exist. And oh my good golly green gracious, is that not at all correct? Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I think you've covered some size variances anyway in the tomatoes. I mean, they're, I think cherry tomato is, you know, sort of a, a category of a lot of different varieties. But yeah, so one of the the best things about home gardening, in my opinion, is just that it allows you to grow and subsequently taste a lot more um, varieties of a vegetable or fruit than you're going to get at the grocery store. And probably have them be tastier even if you were to get that same variety at the grocery store um and so i know you guys covered this to some extent with gmos last week but um a lot of times the produce that is bred uh or or grown i guess might be a better word for for commercial distribution is um produce that's made more for logistical reasons than taste <laughs> reasons so it's produce that is going to look better so for instance your your tomatoes will be less likely to crack um, they're going to be more disease resistant they're going to be better to transport yeah. um, but none of that necessarily equates to they're going to taste good
1: yeah. well um, one of the things we talked about last week is like when Uh, the company set out to make the flavor saver tomato, they wanted to make it so that it was possible to harvest it with machines rather than humans. That's not a problem with a home garden. Yeah, absolutely. So and you're able to put a lot more like time and care into it.
2: I mean, I really do like growing varieties. Obviously, if I can get one I'm interested in that says it's disease resistant to like certain diseases that affect tomatoes, um, then that's great. But you can give a lot more like tlc to your 20 tomato plants than someone with you know a full farm could um so i would say the four varieties that i had on the go last year would have been um actually i think i technically had five but two were kind of similar so i had um celebrity tomatoes which is an f1 hybrid seed uh, I started all of these from seed and the celebrity would just be like your basic tomato, right? <laughs> if you think of a regular tomato, uh, except, you know, it's a lot tastier because it's from your garden. Um, and then I also had scotia, which is my new basic tomato. Um, and the reason I switched is because scotia is an open pollinated variety of tomato, um, which means that in theory, you should be able to save the seeds from it and get a Scotia tomato when you replant those seeds in coming
1: years. Whereas... Okay, so that doesn't happen with other varieties? If it's not... What did you say? An open pollinator? Yeah. So this... I feel like I'm I'm, I'm
2: off on a tangent. I feel like I'm getting into new topics now, but... That is the theme um, of this podcast. Yeah. So... Um, this is where we're
1: trying to get to because we don't know about any of these things. I don't even know the questions to ask to get to this information. Fair enough. So, um,
2: so, yeah, that's that's exactly right. So there are some seeds that you can just harvest from the tomato that you grow in your garden. If you plant them the following year and the plant grows, you should have a healthy plant that produces the same tomatoes that you harvested the seed from in the first place. But not all plants will do that. Um, so I had mentioned that a variety like Celebrity is an F1 hybrid. And so F1 means first generation. So an F1 hybrid is <clears throat> a plant that has been bred usually very intentionally from two parent plants to produce Uh, certain characteristics and a lot of times it's from a specific seed company like there are some proprietary hybrids like um, or proprietary varieties but corn would be a good example of where you can find different proprietary varieties Um, but if you were to take the seeds from an uh, F1 hybrid tomato and save them and plant them the following year you would get a tomato Um, the plant could be very robust or it could not be robust at all, um, in terms of how healthy it is and how big it grows and what it produces. Um, and the tomato that you get would most likely not, I mean, it'll be a tomato, but it won't necessarily be what you, like a celebrity tomato, basically. And that's because the genetics aren't stable, whereas with so this is where you hear things like heirlooms um so an heirloom variety is a variety where the genetics are stable enough that if you save those seeds you can plant them the coming year and you will get that same tomato so it's it's a more sustainable way Mm -hmm. of gardening and so um there is a difference between heirloom and open pollinated um I think heirloom is more, they've, it's, it's a very specific heirloom, like brandy wine. It's a named variety of tomato. That's, it's it's, registered as an heirloom. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas open pollinated just means more. um, I don't feel like the requirements are quite as rigorous, but like, yeah, you'll probably still get the same tomato sort of thing.
1: So do you save. Well, I guess it would depend like you're not saving your F1 hybrid tomato seeds to no. replant the following year. Or well, you? sometimes I would.
2: I because the thing is, and I mean, I feel like a big thing in gardening and in growing anything. So if you want to look at like I always think about apple trees or roses or things like that as well. But um, if you had unlimited time and unlimited space, you could uh, you could save your F1 hybrid seeds and you could plant. A bunch and see what you get and then you could take the plants that you like the most from that and try to breed pollinate those ones or just keep saving seeds from those plants that you like plant those ones rinse and repeat for years until you do have another stable uh, variety of tomato that you want to keep planting and I mean theoretically you could keep going until you have your own heirloom and then you could name it and
1: this is like a good so. companion episode to last week's episode, <laughs> because I feel like in that at one point we stopped and we thanked the farmers of years gone by for being like, oh, this plant is slightly less bad than the other plant. Let's just keep planting the best version of that. And now we yep. have broccoli. <laughs>
2: Yep, absolutely. It's it's something like, you know, I've thought sort of in preparation for this episode like if I just had unlimited years on earth, like it would be very fun to spend a lot of them watching plants change over the years and trying out new hybrids like, you know, maybe find a new or create a new like hot pepper variety, that's your own hot pepper variety, like I don't know, I just think that's very-
1: that would be and I,
0: fun, and I think part of the like F1 hybrid stuff isn't stable. You can't necessarily keep growing from the same plant. Is also just like business protection, because uh, you can imagine, right? If you're a company that specializes in making seeds, you want to make sure people have to keep coming back to you and buying seeds, right? Like if I'm the Reese's company, I I don't want to include a small Reese's peanut Buttercup cup factory. Inside of every Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, right? Eventually, people are just going to have their own factories, and then they don't have to come back to the source. Whereas plants that are stable genetically, I mean, how many plants have you gotten off your your plant dealer, dear?
2: What what dealer?
0: Remember that girl used to go to the north on the north side, so you oh, got like things from.
2: I, yeah, I definitely got a few from her. Yeah, um, or it's like relatively cheap,
0: or like um, you know, I know lots of years you have because you'll start more tomato seedlings then you will plant just so that if some don't make it to seedling stage you have backups and it's like oh like these seeds cost pennies per seed even like the nice ones so if you have excess plants you can just give them to people and it's i don't know i don't know if democratizing is quite the right word but you know, it's very like and communal when you have stable seed beds like that
2: yeah absolutely um and i think like The communal aspect of gardening is definitely a very fun one and a very sweet one um, with people because most people do that. Like if you're starting from seeds, you'll start more than you need, especially if your seeds are a few years old and you're not sure how many are going to germinate, which is the position I'm in right now with some of them. Um, But if you get lots of them to germinate, then really like you you feel bad you like you do not want to bin those plants like that just seems so wasteful um so if you're in Facebook groups or other communities with other gardeners there will be lots of people asking if you want plants or to swap like there are def- plant swaps are definitely a thing people swapping different varieties of tomato um, or, or other plants I guess I just say tomato because I love tomatoes um And it's a good way to get like just one or two plants of another variety because maybe you don't have the space to grow a whole tray full of them, but you just want to try them out. So
1: So are you starting, I mean, at this point where we are right now in the world, (laughs) where we are located on this planet Earth. very vague. (laughs) We are somewhere on Earth. We're at the point now where... um, we are still getting some overnight frost, but we are definitely moving towards warmer nights where you can start moving plants outside. So I assume because you're you, you already have many seedlings started and so, growing.
2: Um, I've been a little chiller this year uh, than last year just
1: because um, I sort of have other plans for the summer or just like... Well, even just talking about like overall in like past years, by this point...
2: Yeah, I definitely, I do have seedlings started. Granted, I still think it's nice and warm during the day. And so we have the sunroom this year, which is going great during the day for seedlings. It's nice and warm and way more light than they've ever had before. Um, The nights are still a little cold. So I've been leaving them out in the sunroom, but I think I'm gonna have to take them inside so they germinate. Um, But yeah, I've started... I think four different varieties of tomatoes again, because it's the time to start those um, planning ahead to when it will be warm enough overnight and there's no risk of frost to actually plant them in the ground. Um, which for us is a lot later than our last frost date normally. So
0: And now we um, kind of got off topic here because you were talking about the different varieties of tomatoes you have planted yeah. last year. So you had your celebrity, which was your f1 yeah. hybrid your, your open ryan gosling kate winslet's yeah
2: my yeah my scotias yeah so those are just kind of like basic tomatoes um brandy wine which is an heirloom beefsteak variety um because i bought a package of those seeds and be, you know because it's such a well-known heirloom they're not terribly expensive and you get a lot of seeds so i'm still going through them i have saved seeds from last year's but i don't need them yet
0: and what is um, beefsteak
2: uh beefsteak is just like a bigger tomato um you get like bigger yeah. slices from it Yeah, what you call so it, a lot of it? times uh i think those would be interchangeable terms or close enough anyway um this like the tomatoes you'd ideally put on sandwiches and burgers and things like that just <laughs> a <beefy> nice boy <laughs> big beefy beefy type and sometimes they have a little maybe a little less seeds maybe don't quote me on that but um yeah so i'm planting brandy wines and um i'm doing sun gold cherry tomatoes which are currently my favorite tomatoes of any any type they are just absolutely delightful those are also um i don't think they're a stable hybrid i'm not sure if they're f1 off the top of my head but um they are worth me buying seed packets for because i just love them ever so much. Um, and then I'm planting a variety called cherry falls, which is, um, a variety of cherry tomatoes that are suitable for hanging baskets. So the growing habit is, um, it grows more like downward and kind of in a nice cluster, I guess, mm-hmm. as opposed to the sun uh, which grow very tall and just sprawling, um, but anyway, yeah, suffice it to say, the Sun Gold has a much like taller and broader and messier and all over the place growing habit, even though they're both cherry tomatoes.
1: Um, so I assume that when you have a plant that is so huge and sprawling, you have to take that into consideration when you're deciding where to plant it and what to plant around it. So is yep. that going in like a pot or? No, is- I, I found with tomatoes...
2: I find when I plant them in pots, I just don't have the same success that I have if I plant them in a nice big raised bed. Um, so that's where I'm planting my tomatoes uh, for the most part. And yes, you do have to plan. And sometimes it takes a while. Like the first year I had sun golds. I had never grown them before. I didn't realize how big they can get. And you can obviously prune them down. Um, so they don't take up so much space, but I'm just the type who likes to let my garden grow wild and see, um, how many vines I can get. So I kind of just let them do their thing. So now I know to give them lots of space because they'll ramble.
1: Um, so we talked a lot about tomatoes. I really like, I like raw tomatoes. I'm not so hot on the like cooked tomatoes or like tomato sauces and stuff, but your tomatoes raw, fresh from the garden are peak. Mm. What other types of things are you growing this year? or Have you like grown in the past? Um,
2: so this year, other seeds that I have started already would be basil and dill, which are just two herbs I grow all the time. Um, I absolutely love growing dill just because it smells so good when you're growing it. Um, and also it dries really well. Like even if you just hang it in your house and dry and then put it in a mason jar, I've still got dill from last summer. That is so fragrant and delicious. Like when you put it in things that is just so much better than what you would buy from the store. Um, and basil just because, well, I have sweet Genovese basil, which is just so tasty especially growing tomatoes Mm so all you need is
1: mozzarella yeah Um, i was gonna say i feel like at this point you need to start making your own cheese (laughs) yeah
2: um what else am i growing i'm growing some ground cherries which are also known as aunt molly's um i think those are related to tomatillos but um they are kind of sweet and almost tropical in flavor um, and they come with little husks. So I think they're also known as fissilis. Um, So when they're ripe, the husks turn um, like a dingy brown color and they dry up and then they fall off the vine. And then you can pick them off the ground, which is why they're called ground cherries. Uh, but they're not red. They're yellow. They kind so, of
1: remind me of um, what are they called? You can get them at the grocery store. And I'm sure they're like the worst version that you would find. but permissions permiss Permis persimmons persimmons thank you persimmons i want to those Google sound similar i know quick. they have like those crispy little brown like it yeah. looks like a corn husk yeah and they're, yeah, and they're they, yellow
2: a ground cherry does look like a, a kind of like a teenier persimmon except a little more yellow mm-hmm. um and so um i think cape gooseberries is either something similar or yet another term okay so cape gooseberries are peruvian ground cherry where aunt molly's ground cherry says the variety originated in poland so i'm not sure but they would be extremely similar so some people would probably know a very similar if not the same plant as cape gooseberries
1: that's wild um, but like it's like poland and then peru the two places as far as possible from each other
2: well I, and i mean it's it, that's the variety so maybe it was i don't know if it's native to poland it might have just been grown in a hothouse somewhere in poland mm-hmm. um but so i'm growing those um i've started some flowers because um i do also like to grow flowers and i love to put flowers in my vegetable garden. Um, for the beauty and the bees. And I forget who said that, but it's definitely not something I came up with. Um, so I've started calendula. I have a variety called fruit burst, which are just these beautiful yellow, uh, and varying degrees of orange, big flowers. Um, I have started, oh, marigolds. Fireball marigolds is the other thing that I started. And again, that is a hybrid just because um, I still have some seeds left and I like how they look. They're they're reddish orange.
1: What were you going to say, Brad?
0: Um, any of those flowers you planted, were those like beneficial to the other plants you were growing?
2: Yeah. So that's um, something that I was going to mention. So some flowers are very valuable companion plants. Um, so, and that's the word we were trying to think of, companion planting. Yeah. And I, I looked into it a little bit just to like, see, because I was like, trying to come up with some scientific terms or see if, you know, there were any, um, and from what I kind of read, you know, some of it is supported by science, some of it is just supported by people's observation, and, you know, sort of more like old wives tales, but things like that are still really valuable in gardening, because uh, I do believe that if you're observing something happening, even if you can't see in gardening, I'm not saying this (laughs) applies to everything, but um, if you can see an effect happening, even if it's not something you can find on google or whatnot then it's worth exploring um so marigolds are said to reduce certain pests um or even certain animals deter certain animals from going in your garden uh jade like i think at one point even i was talking to your mom and she mentioned that she put marigolds around all of her little planter boxes that she had to keep some sort of animal out Um, calendula I don't really think it, I mean, it may have some sort of benefit. I'm not growing it for any benefit other than I just think they're pretty. I know people like to make tea out of calendula or like bath products because it can be calming. Um, What else? So nasturtium, which is something I will be planting later. They only, you only need to start them like four weeks before you're going to transplant them. Um, They are a good, like trap crop. So, um, they can attract common pests to them. So maybe your nasturtiums will look busted, but it saves the vegetables that you actually want to eat. Um, and nasturtiums are also just pretty and you can eat them. They're kind of peppery. So I have a variety called Empress of India and they have these beautiful dark green leaves, almost almost purple veins in them with very dark red flowers, which are very pretty. Um,
1: what can I think of any other flowers? Well, one of the other things we were talking about last week that between the two of us, we could not remember the name for form or what was involved was Brad mentioned the what is it called? The Three Sisters?
0: The Three Sisters. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So the Three Sisters are fascinating and they are probably the most timeless and ubiquitous example of companion planting. And because it's just such a lovely symbiotic relationship that I think is supported by science, so it's um corn, pole beans, and depending on who you ask, squash, pumpkins, something in that like for, uh, in that vein. So the corn supports the pole beans so the pole beans can just climb up it you don't need to worry about trellises or all the other stuff that you might have to use um the pole beans pull nitrogen from the air and affix it into the ground which helps the corn so cool to think about you know the plants don't just deplete the ground of things Mm -hmm. like nitrogen they can actually introduce nitrogen back into the soil and then your squash or which is um, a very low-lying plant with very big leaves, is going to prevent weeds because the, leads, uh, the big leaves are going to block out the sun. Um, so, you know, weeds can't grow under it. It's also going to um, stabilize soil temperature and maybe help with soil moisture levels as
1: well. That is fascinating.
0: And I think too, yeah. we should call out
1: nature working together.
0: Yeah. And uh, do you want to elaborate on, on where the three sisters kind of come from culturally?
2: I will say candidly, I don't know. I mean, I know it's an indigenous yeah. thing. It, it definitely is. Um, and that's basically all I know about
0: it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's North American indigenous folks. So I just wanted to call that out So We weren't, we weren't glossing over that or whitewashing it.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I mean, that kind of actually leads me into my follow-up from last week's episode. So -hmm. since we only have, I think, a few minutes left on the recording, maybe we'll jump into that. Um, But talking about, like, a lot of the foods that we eat today, not just in North America, but around the world, we talked about, like, the sweet potato and how that was something that was brought back from South America and then eventually traverse the world and a lot of those planting practices like I think we've kind of been dancing around the like the the community of gardening and the way that knowledge is passed on in gardening is like very much based in the oral tradition which seen I have English degrees and we talk about the oral tradition a lot so but that's something that's very um, important in indigenous cultures especially like the indigenous cultures that I'm familiar with that are local to us Um, the potato not the sweet potato which Brad asked where is it from and I found an article from BBC called the origin how the humble potato changed the world (laughs) And shocker, it came from the Americas and was taken around classic Christopher Columbus times back to Europe and then eventually making its way around the world around the 1500s. But it was, again, it's interesting to me that, like, the sweet potato and the potato are not related. They're two different parts of plants. Um, Um,
2: Potatoes fun fact, are actually nightshades.
0: So they're
2: related to like tomatoes, peppers, and eggplants. I'm going to just triple check that, but I'm pretty sure it's a nightshade. Yeah, so nightshade is a family of plants that includes tomatoes, eggplant, potatoes, and peppers. So even though potatoes do not grow at all like eggplants, tomatoes, and peppers, Um, which all grow kind of similarly, they're a nightshade. And so if you grow potatoes, some of them could flower, um, and which not everyone knows. And they can also produce little fruit on them, which are poisonous. They are nightshade fruit. Um, yeah,
1: that is cool. Fun fact. I knew tomatoes were related to nightshade and I've heard, um, something about like the leaves. You have to be careful, like you can't eat tomato leaves or something because they may contain higher levels of some kind of chemical. I don't know. Um, With the potatoes being part of that family, they come from the Andes, apparently, and then became global food. I'm like reading the article as I'm telling it to you. But Brad, remember when I said that the sweet potato was the world's seventh most important crop? yeah um people are out here ranking these the mm-hmm. first three are rice wheat and corn makes and sense. and then potato hey regular I, all, I had, all the calorie rich crops yeah, right? i, I had to want to survive
0: yeah i had calories i had two f three of those right last week i said i thought in order it was rice wheat potato
1: yeah i don't know if this is i believe this is an order based on how they're yeah. how they're listed um so basically, well, they think about like potatoes, millions of
0: calories provide to humanity over the course of a year. It's probably that.
1: Yes, and also mm-hmm. potatoes a little bit less so, but like rice, wheat, and corn can all be produced into other um, products that are yeah. like the basis for staple foods like breads. Yeah, very versatile. Yeah. Um. So and potatoes were domesticated in the Andes, like high up in the Andes, and then the Spanish invasion shows up and is like, Hey, we like these potatoes. We're going to take these back with us. And at the same time, they took tomatoes, avocados, and corn. And that this is called the great Colombian exchange. <laughs> mm, I guess. Mm, yeah, I don't know like if it was much of an exchange considering they, you know, killed the Incan empire, but <laughs> they took those with them. Um, and this says that it had a really hard time uh, growing in Europe because of the length of daylight, which I guess is interesting.
0: Yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing. Um, They say it's easier to grow an empire wide than that is tall. Um, And by tall or wide, I mean like latitude versus longitude. Mm. So Mm. if you are Britain, it's comparatively easy for you to pack up, sail west across the ocean to, new england atlantic canada you know that part of the world and just bring your people over because it has a similar seasonal cycle you should be able to grow similar crops uh something really interesting i learned about the canadian prairies um after the invasion of ukraine last year is that apparently the canadian prairies i think like the second or third um largest population center for ukrainian people because it's 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 you know it's on the same level of longitude as ukraine is and it's just big big fields you can grow lots of weed in which is what a lot of you know the experience and and background of ukraine folks so they're like hey let's just go to canada where it's not on the border of russia uh and we can just keep doing our same thing there so uh you'll see a lot of of that custom that way it's just interesting looking at where you can grow certain foods right and so i thought it was interesting when you said potatoes came from the andes so like wow it's kind of far south but i suppose if you're from the mountains that mm-hmm. can play with your uh your growing windows.
1: Is there anything that you would want to grow? I mean, I'm sure there's so many things that you would want to grow that you just can't grow here because of where we live.
2: Uh absolutely. Um, although I mean a greenhouse, a good greenhouse makes a lot of things possible. Um, so I think can't might be a strong word, but certainly more difficult. (laughs) So one thing that, you know, some people around here do have success growing, but I've found is very difficult are melons. Um, they need a long growing season, especially the bigger ones. They need a lot of light. They need a lot of heat for a long period of time. Um, and I haven't been able to successfully grow one yet. I've tried for two years uh, to grow um, a variety of musk melon. Uh, And last year, oh, I thought I was gonna make it. It was, you know, Bigger than the size of my fist and um, I thought it was going to go, but it ended up cracking, which would probably be due to uh, increased water intake at some point. So if we had like a big rainfall, which is something that if you want to give your plants all the TLC in the world, you can control for and mitigate how much water your plant's receiving at any given time. But I didn't do that because I'm kind of a laissez-faire gardener. So melon is one that I really want to eventually get right, but it is just difficult around here. Um, Another one that I've never attempted for similar reasons, but again, I'm sure that people could, if they really put their mind to it, is uh, loofah. So I would absolutely love to get loofah seeds and grow loofahs so I could have them for my shower because mm-hmm. loofahs are, um, I want to look this up real quickly to s- remember what actual type of plant it is, but uh loofah plant, because <laughs> I want to say it's like a gourd. It is a, a yeah, gourd. Yeah, I was
1: thinking yeah. they have like those big seeds like pumpkin Yeah, it's... Stuff.
2: It's a gourd. And so um, you can do really cool things with loofah where you say you have like a cattle panel trellis or some sort of trellis arch, you can grow them up. They'll cover with beautiful leaves and then the loofahs will hang down. And then um, you harvest when the loofah is like really good and old and you can knock all the seeds out, save those seeds and then you've got your loofah. But again, it um, requires a fairly long growing season uh you know if i do a quick google here it's like can you grow loofahs in canada the greenhouse is the best chance of growing loofahs Mm -hmm. in canada you want to leave them in a greenhouse all year if possible um so long growing season lots of sunshine lots of heat needed uh three things that you know we may think oh with we have hot days in the summer but it's like no you need like consistently Mm -hmm. hot long summers like you know uh, southern United States yeah uh, South America things like that I'm very envious of like the southern United States Um, some of the gardening channels I watch are based out of there and they're like we're growing banana trees and I'm like (laughs) you. <laughs> yeah, like right, so, January,
0: and we're going to start our second batch of tomatoes yeah, here. year.
2: Yeah, yeah. They're like, I'm moving my heat ten- or frost tender plants out, and it's March, and you know, it's July, and we've already cut back one batch of tomatoes, and this is on our second
1: batch now. In July, um, we still get like really cold nights
2: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and so that's another thing to consider too right it's not just the hot days that you have to be mindful of it's the cold nights because i think it's like if it's below 15 degrees celsius your plants like tomatoes and peppers are probably going to be stunted a little bit like that's kind of bad for them
1: like they'll still live
2: but they're not going to be as productive
1: maybe that's why i'm stunted and not (laughs)
2: yeah but then it's but then oh you go over 30 degrees celsius then your plants are also going to stop flowering things like tomatoes and peppers so they're very uh sensitive little buggers and with peppers and like bell peppers in particular big ones i've never found even with those the juice to be worth the squeeze for my garden but I guess not a juice (laughs) but uh the flesh
0: flesh. that's (laughs) that's
2: better right yeah
0: yeah the flesh is worth it it.
1: flesh to be worth the price and
2: i'll mention like i i am also growing some other things but i just don't need to start them yet so another thing to think about is like you don't need to start all plants at the same time so things like tomatoes you would start six to eight weeks before uh Mm. you plan on transplanting them things like peppers you would need to start like eight to ten weeks uh things like cucumbers or like i mentioned nasturtiums you can start like four to six weeks before you plan on transplanting them so eventually i will be starting things like cucumbers and nasturtiums and also uh beans uh, which again you only need like a few weeks um i guess i would just say you know if you're curious and even if you have just a little small space available to you or if you have a community space available to you um give gardening a try and don't be too hard on yourself. Just treat it as a learning experience. And I guarantee you will learn something either about plants or yourself.
0: Well, thanks so much Lacey for covering for me since I can't speak this week and uh, (laughs) be sure to write in folks and let us know how you thought our first guest.
1: Let me know how wrong I was (laughs) about about everything. Let us know if Lacey should have her own podcast. Kick Ah. us off of the show.
0: If you like this episode, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review.
1: You can find us at Fun Fact Collectors on Instagram and Twitter. If you have suggestions for future episodes or just want to share your favorite fun fact, feel free to send us an email at headnerds at funfactcollectors.com.
0: If you're interested in learning more about today's topic, check out the show notes. This has been Fun Fact Collectors. See you next week.
1: See you next week.